1: It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. That's A N C H O R.fm. Back to the show. He's been shot six times. Halloweenies. He's been burned alive. Halloweenies. He's lost his head. Halloweenies. Michael Myers can't and won't be stopped, which is why he returns this October. In anticipation, the Consequence Podcast Network presents Halloweenies, a limited series that carves out one Halloween movie a month, leading all the way up to the October 19th release of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's new movie. You'll get tricks. You'll get treats. You'll get Michael. Tune in for the night we came home. Consequence Podcast Network.
4: Happy New Year to all of you wonderful pod people out there. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another episode, the most important episode of This Must Be The Gig your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Each week we strive to bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance world and that could obviously mean chatting to musicians about it, a founder of a festival you love, a choreographer, a comedian, an actor, anyone really obsessed with live music the way that we are. I'm coming to you from the start of a fresh new year We're celebrating the beginning of 2019 by obviously looking back. That's what you do, don't you? Who cares about New Year's resolutions when you can look back on 2018, an exceptionally tense and stupefying year on many fronts? But really, the beginning is the most important part of the work. Who said that? I think Plato said that. I I feel like somebody said that. Somebody important said that. So we're celebrating and looking at some of the best music moments and the most incredible conversations that we had in 2018 on the show. It felt kind of weird just to get going in 2019 with a brand new bunch of amazing chats. We thought that we just need to give one more little nod and a little look-see, a little look back, a little rewind, be kind rewinding at uh, our little almost greatest hits compilation and before we dig in to all of this uh, wonderful collection of work that we have amassed over the last year i can't believe it's already been a year let's check in with our constant companion here our cc at tmbtg studios hello adam
1: hey how are you
4: i'm good i'm really good (laughs) we brought the uh,
1: new year we brought pod puppy buffy into the studio for <laughs> one more 2018 woof back we're okay. ringing out 2018 with pod puppy buffy
4: Exactly. But there anyway,
1: should I start singing "Old Lang Syne to ring in 2019?
4: I mean, I don't know if that's the <laughs> best. No, sorry. It's, it's sorry. a super fun jam.
1: Yeah. It, I, I was doing a really good job of showcasing how high energy and pump up that song is.
4: I just watched uh, Beyonce's compilation of her year, and it's basically like having a panic attack, but with somebody, like, rubbing your shoulders. Because you it's basically on Instagram. It's a video flashing her entire year, And you think, how can God do so much? <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, how has she done so much? It flashed before my eyes, and then it would slow motion into the most important times. So it was like, and then slow motion Lion King. And then... And then slow motion her singing with her little daughter.
1: I mean, it was great. And on one hand, you're like, oh, I've, what have I done this year? I'm so frustrated. But then on the other hand, you're just like, how can creation I really like ever this do that.
4: I also think that people who don't congratulate themselves or others or people who aren't inspired what other people have done, whether that's just overcome a slight small fear or traveled the world... I still don't think people should be envious. Being around people who are growing is the most important thing for growth. That's an incredible sentiment. Yeah, I love that. That wasn't Plato. No, that was you. (laughs) That that was (laughs) (laughs) Mato. But anyway, let's go back, as always, reeling in. Since it's the subject of our podcast, did you have a favorite concert of 2018?
1: I got to see Grouper, who's one of my all-time favorites. Yes. Perform at the Bohemian National Cemetery here in Chicago, which oh was gosh. absolutely mind-blowing. I
4: can only imagine.
1: They host shows there a few times a year in Chicago if you happen to be here during one of the solstices. I highly recommend going. It's it's uh, incredible.
4: How do you feel about feeling emotionally high? And haunted at the same time.
1: I didn't think I was haunted. Am I haunted now?
4: (laughs) I mean, you you're lurking in a cemetery. I kind of feel like you're asking for haunts.
1: But there are a lot of people there. Are we all haunted?
4: Absolutely. You're carrying people. Other people with. No, that is very scary. I don't ever (laughs) want to entertain that concept. Um, But I think it's very difficult always to quantify the amount of concerts that i see for work and then qualify the heart emotion reaction that i get from concerts so there's so many but the one that i thought of right now when you asked the question was definitely the heart thumping motherfucking crazy yayas performance in montreal that i got to see they've obviously been one of my favorite for a long time and Carano is just a hero and uh i think that was definitely a standout just because i think i'd never been to montreal before everybody was kind of seemed like the crowd was just tired and then they electrified the crowd
1: yeah that's you cannot
4: electrocuted
1: whoa you cannot be calm At a yeah, yeah, yeah show
4: No, but it's a level of like You know that you are in good hands
1: Oh, yeah That is what I wanted to say No, absolutely It took me a long
4: time to get there But I was trying to think back And be genuine and honest about it But I also think Talking about Carano I did see other really worldly icons Like Elton John and Pearl Jam Loads of times this year In different countries around the world Which is also so strange I got to shoot them at Wrigley Field And even though they aren't At the top of my audience all-time favorites there was something about seeing all these icons and then also getting to shoot them for the first time some of them
2: mm-hmm.
4: was really important so there were a lot of firsts a lot of t- tents <laughs> um but those and uh, obviously i love florence and the machine's latest show david burns latest show oh man um i loved Hormonar, which is my one of my favorite Icelandic That's bands. That's one of our
1: Icelandic secrets.
4: Uh-huh. Well, not anymore. Yeah, tell everyone. I have many Icelandic secrets, and <laughs> no one will find any of them out, because then tourists will flock. Um, And who else? I just wanted to I think. I
1: remember you ranting about young fathers.
4: Of course. Who, we won't mention anything, we won't, but we will We won't will spoil say, a
1: future episode. There's an episode coming.
4: Get ready. Um, I also feel like seeing No Name and seeing a few, like a few of my favorite albums of the year, yeah. seeing that performed live. Absolutely. Like uh, Mitsuki, and I didn't get to see Robin, although that is one of my favorite albums of the year. Honey. Makiah McCraven played. Also in Chicago for the Red Bull Music Festival. Uh, Christine and the Queens. Who else? Just so many. Boy Genius. Oh, boy. And then obviously Kamasi Washington. Heaven and Earth. And the last time I saw him was when his father came on stage. Maybe his father comes on stage all the time.
1: You know, I've only seen him once and he did. So at least I can vouch for that.
4: But that's also a fantastic... Fantastic album.
1: You've seen so many live shows this year.
4: So have you. Yes, So have that's all the true. people listening.
1: And it's just amazing to be able to share these experiences.
4: I know. And I also love to find out the ones that people were the most surprised by. Because there's a lot of shows that we really look forward to. And then we get to them and either we've had a crappy day or somebody shoving us in the back. Or there's an arsehole talking next to us. Or there's just not enough people crying. Because we always want people crying. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot of shitty things that happen at festivals and live shows that I think people are very quick to forget about. So if anything ruined a show you went to see, I hope and I pray that my... Actually, you know what? There's my New Year's resolution. That your way forward is that you get to see that artist again without that mean-spirited lunatic speaking in your ear behind you
1: i love that i, I love just get that. kicked in the shins so much at concerts yeah but you tool. tall yeah that's the problem i'm in people's it. way i don't mean Cut to your be your
4: legs off
1: i don't mean to be in people's way you don't have to kick me i'm sorry
4: i also love going right up front which is the opposite of what most journalists i think want to do because they just always want to hang back. The sound's better back here. And we all know it is not. (laughs) We all know it's not. Also, half of what I do needs to... The the people around me need to filter into it. Because they are what makes it.
1: You have to feel the experience.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Feel the experience. (laughs) So, in order for you to feel the experience with us...
1: We decided to take some samples from our first year as a podcast. Mm -hmm. We grabbed snippets of conversations from some of the most incredible musicians that we had on the show for this year talking about their first concert the way they experienced that moment
4: and we have obviously so many thrilling conversations coming to you in 2019 i can't i I, I don't know how i'm gonna write 2019 it just doesn't look right how do you even write nine eight was in my life for so long
1: (laughs) but even before we get into those incredible moments I want to encourage you to leave us a note, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at TMBTGPod.
4: TMBTGPod.
1: Anyone, leave your best concert experience as a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll shout you out. You listen on Spotify? Subscribe there. You listen on your iPhone? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts.
4: You listen on the Googles?
1: Listen on the Googles.
4: Surprise on the Googles. Surprise Surprise on the Googles. But before we get into our first story, I do also want to say thank you to every single person who's been listening. Every time I hear a podcast host say this, I roll my eyes in shame. But I have to say it because if I don't, then I'll just regret not saying thank you. I'm very grateful and I'm sure... Adam and Podpuppy are very grateful as well. We are, and here at Consequence Podcast Network, we are all so happy to have you along for the journey and the ride. And you're there when we're airing out all the kinks, and we're listening to the kinks, <laughs> and you're right there with us. And so, thank you.
1: That's a beautiful sentiment. Yet again, you really have a great heart.
4: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Are we just being grateful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This you is, is too. No, this heart is 2019. Too. Oh my god
4: um so we'd be absolutely silly not to start off with the mind that gave us the namesake for the show that's right first up on our greatest hits we have a sample of my chat with david byrne the david byrne living legend idol hero
1: seeing you interview david was such a special moment something i know you'd been dreaming of back even before we started thinking about this podcast special
4: as in my quivering
1: Yes, Yes. I could see you vibrating.
4: Yeah, it's true. I jumped off a plane from a festival that I was covering in Europe and I rushed from the airport to the venue in Chicago that he'd be playing that evening. I was a little frazzled and a little nervous, but then we proceeded to have the most wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful chat with uh, David and Annie B. Parson as well who is so inspiring in everything that she really lays her eyes and ears and touch on
1: in this little clip you're going to get david discusses the first concert that he ever went to when his father took him to see ravi shankar which is a pretty badass first concert if you ask me and then after that the two of you discuss the first times david himself ever performed when he was freaking out folkies at the coffee shop (laughs)
4: I mean, talk about life-changing moments, both David's and mine, obviously. Because it's all about the... Forgetting to be, obviously, in the room with him and and Annie B. And she choreographed the movements for David's band on his most recent tour. And yet another of my favorite concerts of the year, as I mentioned earlier. So here is a little sample of episode 9 with David Byrne and Annie B. Parson. Enjoy. (laughs) What was your first concert? What my was the first, first concert, ever concert? For me? Yeah. Uh, that
5: you saw. My dad took me to see Ravi Shankar. <gasps> is that cool? That's so cool. <laughs> is that cool? Oh <laughs> That's amazing. God, I know that
4: you're saying, is that cool? Yes, we're all like... <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's cool. Uh, so, How old were you?
5: so I remember, I mean, music is, is wonderful, but I remember like there was a big... You know, big carpet on the stage and flowers, oh, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um It wasn't like amplifiers and stuff like that. It was uh, a carpet and maybe some pillows uh, and and some flowers around the edge. And I thought, oh, that's what that's how they make the stage for this this kind of show.
4: No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you remember how old you were at the time when
5: oh, you, you oh, I was probably about. You know, 13, 14, oh, wow. something like that, you know.
4: Did you know that that was it? Was that when you saw that? Oh, it was... It was Did you know uh, that you wanted to do that?
5: Yes, yes. I mean...
4: Immediately?
5: Yeah, it was a cool thing to do. Um, yeah. Just perform? To, oh, no, for me to perform. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started performing at an early age. I was mm. very, very shy, but I would also perform. Mm. And for a lot of people, that seems like a contradiction... But for me, it was a way to communicate. It was a, medic- a way to announce my my being, My, mm. my that it,
4: yeah.
5: here I am. Um, but then as soon as I, I, I finished that. performing, I would go back in the corner <laughs> and not talk to anyone.
4: How did you get out of that?
5: I think music helped me. Music and performing helped me.
4: What yeah. was your first ever performance that you did?
5: I, no, I don't know which was the first. I used to perform in... Uh, They were called coffee houses, Mm. and um, they didn't serve liquor. And they often had folk singers. And I think I went in, would go in with maybe a guitar, but it was usually a ukulele and and then sometimes a violin. I had a violin. And I played um, sometimes rock songs on the ukulele and (laughs) other things on the violin. It was terrible. (laughs) And... I mean, something it's else might have been try, a guitar right? as well, but uh, yeah, and it, it, so it was a performance. It, yeah, it was playing with their expectations of this folk crowd, too, who did not expect that kind of stuff.
4: So, looking back, it really makes so much sense. The little spiritual tenor of David's music, the almost romantic theatrics, the meditative thoughtfulness.
1: Another person who thrives on that same thoughtful, is a good word for it, vibration, is from our very first episode with Mm -hmm. garbage front person, Shirley Manson.
4: Oh my gosh, I've spoken with Shirley many times over the years and her mind and her laugh and her heart never really cease to amaze.
1: And while that episode features so much really incisive commentary and dissection of what it is to be a performer in this moment, in this second it was really wonderful to see the nostalgia of her calling back to her childhood and really bringing you into that
4: and it's really really good and comforting to know that a person that bold and powerful could be kind of embarrassed by their mom still when uh young Shirley was walking alongside Joe Strummer in Edinburgh and we also got to chat about shirley's first memories of seeing her mom sing and the inspiration that she got from that experience
1: so here's a little clip from episode one the very first episode of the year with shirley manson
4: Do you have a favourite concert that you went to when you were super young? Like, w- when was the first concert? How how available were acts coming into your hometown? Like, did you get a lot of acts touring, or did you actively have to go get in a car with your mates and and watch your favourite band?
2: No, I was pretty lucky. Almost everything came through Edinburgh in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone really that I pretty much wanted to see, I ended up. In some way or form, getting to witness them in the flesh—you know—I can remember walking down Princess Street, which is the main drag in Edinburgh, with my mum, yes. and, Joe Strum- and Joe Strummer is walking along the street and towards no. us. Oh my and- gosh! My fucking mum notices that I'm blushing because I'm so, like, taken by the fact that he's there in... he's The physical manifestation of Joe Strummer is in my hometown. He's walking towards mm. me and my mum looks at me and just as he passes by in earshot, says, why are you blushing? You're bright red. Oh, no. And I just remember thinking, oh, mum, shut the fuck up. mom,
4: go jump and, you know, down the was... well right now, mum. Leave me alone. Yeah.
2: Oh. And oh then I remember gosh. also uh, like an amazing memory of like running up the Waverley Steps, which is in Edinburgh. And Bjork was running down on her way to the train station. You know, shit like that. It's no. like really beautiful, extraordinary glimpses of, of these incredible artists, you know, in in sort of anonymity in a funny way. It was a, a really extraordinary. But my arguably my first musical concert was my mum. My mum was singing. And really? Wow. She, Did yeah, she she was yeah. in a band? Well, she was in a band, but I didn't see her sing with her band. I saw her sing in the sort of concert party that was attached to the church that we used to go to when we were kids. And mm-hmm. I heard my mum sing there for the first time with the concert party. And And my my little sister and I were just talking about this yesterday. Actually, it's like we both remember sitting there and watching her appear out of blue velvet curtains. They had these thick blue velvet curtains that they used to like literally <laughs> manually turn. You know, somebody had a sort yeah, of like squeaky like, a, a, like uh,
1: rah, rah, yeah, yeah a squeaky
2: <laughs> wheel, and these blue curtains opened up, and there was my mum in it in a beautiful. White dress with little blue cornflowers on them, and she sang on a clear day. And mm. I mean, my, me and my sisters were just sort of mesmerised. Did
4: that kind of give you a an idea of what you wanted to do? Was that in terms of not necessarily making
2: music, but performing? To you know, I was a strange little creature, to be honest. And <laughs> I have an argument with my family because I claim that I never wanted to be famous or be a singer or be on the stage or anything they claim otherwise they said no you always wanted to be famous you (laughs) always said you wanted to be famous and I don't remember that streak in myself at all I mean I literally have zero memory of having any desire I wanted to be a ballerina that's what I wanted to do and I was very serious about that and it's the only thing actually to be honest in my life I've ever pursued with real passion and Mm -hmm. seriousness I really desperately wanted to dance like Margot Fontaine and Mm. I injured myself when I was young and I also got too tall and that was the end of that. Um, But that was really the only dream I've ever had.
4: So the list of legends continues after that fantastic moment with another this time courtesy of johnny marr the co-founder of the smiths johnny called in while he was standing on the roof of his recording studio which i just thought was wonderful the whole thing seemed very appropriate for the wild stories that he shared again
1: this one features a double dose of storytelling in that you get a little bit of the past a little bit of the present and also He talks about the very first gigs he saw, including Rod Stewart, which was a bit of a surprise, and also local rock bands, but then also the runaway drug-fueled trips that those rock shows led to.
4: And he follows that with an absolutely crazy memory of the very first gig the Smiths ever performed, which was at a friend's fashion show at the Ritz in Manchester, a story that somehow reels in poet William Burroughs as well, which is nuts.
1: So enjoy this clip from episode seventeen with Johnny Marr.
4: Do you remember when that first time was that you played? Was it in Manchester, or do you remember when the first ever gig was? Yeah,
6: yeah, I remember it vividly. It was at a place called the Ritz, which is still open, and which, in fact, oh, wow. is quite a—it's quite a prestigious venue, the <laughs> Ritz. Yeah, and it was all a bit of a it was all a bit of a ruse actually because our friends who were quite enterprising, uh, two of our friends put on uh, a sort of night of kind of this was around the what was known as the new romantic kind of age. So everybody you know was dressed up in, in togas and all this kind of finery, <laughs> uh, and they put on a, what was a, a what was called a they called a fashion show, which was. Yeah, it was local designers and our old friends modeling and around around this fashion show they put on a few bands and we were the first band on but essentially the night was really devised as a as a kind of showcase for my new band oh,
5: wow. and
6: um and we went on and we did four songs and we had Morris's friend as a go-go dancer this guy James Maker stood in stilettos yeah God knows why God <laughs> knows why he was doing that <laughs> Were
4: well, you just like oh yeah I'm gonna go with this this is great I'm just yeah gonna...
6: <laughs> I, I, I was yeah I, I thought well this is very exotic I didn't yes. really expect it was gonna last too long mm. but uh, which it which it didn't so we we did that and I think because we were sort of a, uh, I think even though we only did four songs and we were playing to the kind of very hip cognoscente of Manchester, William Burroughs was on about, uh, he was about 600 yards in a, in the a Hacienda as it was then down the road.
4: Oh, uh, wow.
6: So most, most of the audience who we would have wanted to see us were watching William Watch- Burroughs <laughs> croak his way through. Broke his way through through some narrative
4: oh god Um, that's really why you had your go-go dancer dancer in stilettos and playing four songs i love that
6: exactly yeah but we arrived that night we Mm. arrived because people who there was a lot of people who kind of knew that i was you know i was going to do something interesting and partly they knew that because i had been telling them that for about two years (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh, 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 and, you know, there was a few people around who were aware of Morrissey's reputation from the punk days. Yes. And so, so we stirred up a little bit of attention. And
4: who was the first uh, artist then that you saw perform live?
6: Absolutely. Well, I wrote my autobiography in... Uh,
4: yes, in, in I love that. 20,
6: in, ...in 2016. And mm-hmm. in doing the research, I knew that I'd seen Rod Stewart uh, really early with, with my uncle. But I also had seen, there was a local band in Manchester who became a punk band. They were called Floor and the Dogs. Mm-hmm. And they were quite, um, they were a notorious local band of kind of hoodlums really, but they were pretty good uh, for a time. Before they changed to punk, they were the <laughs> local kind of heroes. And I, so in writing their biography, I uh, went back and I got I had the tickets Um, And um, it turns out I went to that gig on my own in 1976 and I was 12 vividly. I remember every second of it. And what really struck me was that actually that I went on my own uh, to check this band out and almost as research in a way because i started <laughs> kind of playing at 11 and and it was very violent i mean there were those gigs were known for being violent and mm. it was absolutely astonishing and i stood sort of on the uh, on the periphery of the fray and um and i remember uh, i i saw that i watched the whole gig and i hung around to sort of soak up the atmosphere afterwards and i walked I guess maybe the eight miles, nine miles back on my own. But the thing is, I realised I must have got in about after midnight, anyway. Mm. And what struck what struck me about that was that my parents just let me do it.
4: How did that? I was just thinking, how did your parents even firstly let you out the house at that age alone, and then also let you come back so late? Were, were they were they kind of confident that you just weren't gonna? I don't know, disappear or
6: well. That was the start of me. They, they were no, they were um, they because I was the oldest. I am the oldest of a Irish family and Irish descent. And and back then, particularly, there was a there was a, a kind of a there was a very uh, sort of trusting or <laughs> loose. The parents were kind of loose about where I went, really. That's, okay. the, that's the honest answer. And they they sort of uh, they were OK with giving me a hell of a lot of independence. I mean, that kind of bit them very quickly after that. That came back to bite them when I would disappear for, <laughs> Wait, for a few days. And then, and then Kate would I'm come sure. back with my eyes rolling around in my head like saucers, having <laughs> in, ingested all kinds of substances. But, yeah. uh, and that's when then it started to cause quite a few problems.
4: love the fact that somewhere there must be a person whose very first gig was getting to see Johnny Marr or Morrissey and the Smiths play at a fashion show if you saw that show let us know hit us up that's just uh, the beauty of live music I suppose and live performance in all magic can really happen at any moment and you can you can absolutely be a part of it and experience it
1: that's something that became really readily apparent in your conversation with Flaming Lips front man Wayne Coyne as well.
4: So Wayne, as most of you know, can also reel off into crazy uh, tangents and you just got to jump on and grab the rope and fly on by with him and his (laughs) wild stories. And this episode is a real thrill ride. And I wanted to just make sure that we highlight Wayne's classic rock origin story, which is so great.
1: His stories of having his life changed by seeing The Who as a child, which, man, man, there's so many people that are just hungering for that experience not to mention sitting on the stage for ELO that's the kind of live music miracle that kids today are dreaming of
4: kids today okay old man well gee whiz grandpa (laughs) it's true though it's true I feel like there's a lot of obvious uh you have an icon who's obviously inspired by another icon, but because it's like a babushka doll of icons, you just feel very overwhelmed. So I just think it's amazing to just sit back and listen to these stories. So here's a clip from episode 24 with me and Wayne. Enjoy.
3: When I'm going all through my early teenage years, you know, at the end of the early 70s, mm. my older brothers are going to virtually every concert, you know, with the, the only groups that we didn't see in, in the day would have been just like the Beatles and Pink Floyd. I mean, we saw everybody else Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know, all wow. that. But the one that I think absolutely blew my mind, and I was young anyway, I was only 16, it was, was seeing The Who,
4: Oh, my God! they were still, wow. you know, they
3: were still with the Keith Moon and the John Entwistle, and they were, to me, they were very potent and, like, religious and just insanely, like, they, they had an optimism and an energy, and I just didn't understand it. And, then, and I hadn't, I'd seen a lot of concerts before then, and I kind of had an idea, like, I kind of know what this, you know, I think I know what this is or whatever. And then seeing <laughs> them was just a different level and i and i think luckily i think i was right i still believe seeing the who in that time in the, in the early 70s to the to the you know the till when Keith Moon it, it dies there's there's just some some insane like connection that they have when they're playing that's about energy and 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 and, and emotion and all that and, and and i think it's true i don't i don't think i was tricked by it and <laughs> so i think that it being the who and not being I don't know why, but the who just sort of seemed like more of a working class group? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time. I mean, it didn't matter to me at the time. But I think because I started to believe in their thing so much, I, I started to recognize, oh, this is like working class. That's, you know, it's not, these aren't artists and these aren't musicians. This is like just dudes. And I was wrong. I mean, there are artists and musicians of, of, of the of But I understand high, high what you're saying, yeah. more relatable. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about that era, that must have been like, was that the Who's Next album era and uh, totally. the My yeah, Generation yeah. era? I mean, that that those albums, even listening to them, you know, can set you onto a different path than it would another artist. So I love that you also got to experience that when you were 16 because you're, you know, you're, brains forming your personality's forming and you're at that prime where music sticks with you in a way that it doesn't really you know stick with you when you're when you're getting older you know when you're younger it's your formative years it's like yeah. the music and yeah I, I think
3: there was some sort of and i say religious but i think it's more like that communal love and that energy and and i didn't really I mean, my brothers and other friends took drug, drug, drug. They just took drugs all the time, but I really never did. And so I think my young mind was just so completely absorbent to everything that was going on. And that little energy, that little that that communal energy, I tell this story a lot because I just the previous night, before the night before seeing the Who mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City, I'd gone to see. Bachman, Turner Overdrive, and Electric Light Orchestra. They oh, were wow. On the oh, my and gosh. back then, it would be like a general admission thing, and we would get there early enough, and we would be at the absolute at the front, front of the stage. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. I, I had literally sat on the stage with ELO. I literally sat there on the stage. It wasn't a barricade or anything back then. I remember seeing the Rush and Ted Nugent and all them, I, and there would be no barricade or anything. And and like I said, there was a sense of like I kind of know what this is, but when when the who played, it just had this extra thing. And I questioned everybody. I was like, Well, what did they do that was different than mm. my brothers with their wisdom I just be Well, they're the who. They're you know, that's why they're the who. You know, there's no <laughs> there's no real answer, you know. And yeah. so I think that that my mind getting so zapped by that intangible like what was that thing that they created it wasn't just music it wasn't just this it's that Mm. communal energy and I think that's I think that's very much part of the urge that's happening on the Flaming Nips play it's not just to say we're playing our music and I think it's sounding good or whatever it's to make that connection you know to really feel that thing and so yeah and, and you know there'd be no way that when I'm 16 I would I would know what that is or even maybe I don't even know what it is now, but there's that feeling of like, I think it's that, I think this is what it's about, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would always, from the, from the day that that happened, the night that that happened, it's always been with me. And, and 31 years later in that same auditorium backstage in Oklahoma city, I met Pete Townsend.
4: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So for the last of our Greatest Hits moments, I wanted to call out a fantastic conversation with someone with whom I share a passion for Gwen Stefani and no doubt with. In episode five, I chatted with Speedy Ortiz frontwoman Sadie Dupuis about uh, everything. From the dog that was named after her to taking her mom to her very first house show, but first and foremost, obviously, we bonded over No Doubt.
1: Sadie details her experience getting to see No Doubt as a teen. You guys run through the whole set list from that yeah. show, which is an incredible thing that we now have I still at our fingertips, to no Doubt. thanks to the internet. Thank you, internet, for making set lists <laughs> always available. Uh, but you also discuss everything that there is about the band, even. Um, the uh the interesting view let's say she got from the balcony of uh drummer Adrian Young, who seems to perpetually not be wearing much clothing
4: I mean what drummer does <laughs> uh, no doubt
1: hey. Hey.
4: but no doubt was obviously one of my favorites as a teen. I say obviously very confidently because you all should know that already, and I have absolutely loved to be able to see them. I would have absolutely loved to be able to see them at any age instead of just staring longingly at every cd cover and unfolding the i remember that was the first thing i ever did when i got any cd of theirs i used to take it out of the out of the sleeve and unfold it and then read through each thing and even comment on the colors they used what for?
1: about all those music videos too they were they had some great They're ones they
4: were wonderful so getting to live that experience through this conversation was quite therapeutic and very calming so
1: this is our last greatest hit moment from 2018 volume 1 complete here's Lior and Sadie Dupuis enjoy
4: thanks for listening again and see you next week for our first edition of 2019 who we will who we shall not name just yet you'll have to just tune in again and see bye
0: What was your very, very first concert? Well, I definitely went to stuff when I was, like, a little baby before I remember. Like, I know that they, because I grew up in New York City, so we went to, like, Summer Stage is a series they do in Central Park, and I know, I remember seeing, like, Sheryl Crow when I was pretty little, but the first show that I remember, like, asking my parents to take me to, which I realized today, we're recording this April 6th, it was April 6th in the year 2000, so 18 years ago. I made my mom take me and two of my best friends to see No Doubt at the (gasps) Roseland Ball, and it was right before they were like my favorite band, favorite band, and had been my favorite band too. Had been since Tragic Kingdom. So favorite band, yeah, from like 1995 (laughs) until that point, that was my favorite favorite band, the best band. I was like 11, I guess. Um, I was I would have turned 12 that year, but not yet. Um, So we went to go see them right before Return of Saturn came out, and. That was my first like club show, and it was amazing. I, I could find. I looked it up today because I was like, I wonder if the set list is online, and I found it. Oh my god, um, is the set
4: list online? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found, I'm actually found, gonna look at it now. I
0: had to dig into like a blog entry about the Roseland Ballroom closing to find it, oh but I, I can send you. it. I found the set list.
4: Please send it to me, or you can. Yeah. Do you have it in front of you now? <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to hear it? Oh my god. Yes, obviously.
0: Obviously, I love. They, loved, they no opened doubt. With new. Uh, which, which was i love the, so which is one of the greatest um, of the yeah, yeah of that album and i bought, i remember buying the go soundtrack as that was on it yeah. um i love that and movie. they did, <laughs> yeah they did sunday morning they did bathwater which is also great different magics in the makeup just a girl comforting lie they did a lot of like slower like sadder songs from return of saturn which is funny they did marry me
2: they did happy
0: now they did total hate which i love and I wonder who, like, sang the, like, Bradley Noel part. But they did you Staring Problem. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. They did Don't Speak. They did Ex-Girlfriend. Excuse I love that me. song. I
4: hated it when I first heard it. But then I got into it. It was because... What, of the, Ex-Girlfriend? Yeah. I hated it first... But then, obviously, it fits so well on the album. I can't remember. I think it was the first song on that album on, on Return yeah, to Saturn. I need was, to look it up. I think it was
0: the first single, too. And I, it was one of the first songs I learned on guitar, actually. Oh, my um, gosh. Because I started Aww. learning guitar, like, right after this record came out. And I remember buying the, like, tablature book of all the songs. And then the encore, they did Simple Kind of Life and Spiderwebs. So, Loved amazing spider set web. list. And Tony or not Tony, Adrian um, would always Adrian, like, yeah. he would spit during the shows like <laughs> down to like a thong. Um, and what? I remember we were we were in the balcony of the Roseland Ballroom. We had like my mom. My mom had also worked in the music industry and she like a little bit different than my dad. But she um, had always had friends who still worked at all the clubs in Manhattan. So for some reason, I think we had VIP tickets. So we were up in the balcony, like right by the stage, right? and i remember i could basically see adrian from the side and you could see his penis and it was like what? the first time i mean no. i was like 11 i had not seen one of those and i was like oh. one of i was those. like a little freaked out
4: <laughs> yeah like almost expect okay now every time somebody plays drums you'll have to
0: have to see that i'm like surprised you I was, weren't
4: like, like scarred yeah. for life
0: <laughs> yeah it was a lot but it was amazing so that was my first club show